Y'all, welcome back. Got kind of a longer one this time around. Uh, I got really into the research on this topic. I didn't really know where to stop. So, um, yeah, buckle up. This episode, we're talking about rich people. The, the fat cats, the Brahmin, the glitterati, the scobber launchers. Yeah, it's a real it's a real world. Google it. Talking about cash chuckers, y'all. We all know Bill Gates, Donald Trump, and don't worry, this this episode won't have anything to do with politics. Actually, it, it will, but I mean, not in like the I mean, just in a broader sense of like why do rich people like get into politics? But I'm I'm, I'm certainly not diving into the modern political climate of America or any other country. Not touching Brexit either. Trust me. Not educated enough, and uh, look, I just plain don't want to. Nor do you really even want me to. So, let's talk about rich people in general. Who are they? What are they like? Are they are they happier than the rest of us because they have more money? How much money does it take to you know to make someone quote rich? So, to be clear up front, the rich people. I'm referring to, I'm talking about super duper mega rich people. I don't mean, I don't mean athletes or movie stars. Like, look, they ain't poor, but this isn't about them. Uh, I don't even mean, you know, people like Beyonce or Dr. Dre. I mean, like Dr. Dre is worth like $700 million. And if you, if you take Beyonce and Jay-Z combined, they're worth like a billion dollars together. So that is getting closer to what I'm talking about. But to sum it up, like what I'm saying is I'm definitely not talking about your uncle Patrick who bought some Apple stocks back in like 2002. So now he has extra cash and you know, he thinks he's better than the rest of the family and he stopped coming to family events except that one year after he divorced aunt Linda and came to Thanksgiving drunk out of his mind, dragging along what looked to be a high price call girl. So then grandma got all mad and removed him from the chain letter, which I mean, lucky jerk. I hate that stupid chain letter. I don't care at all about my third cousin's new cat yet. I'm expected to add to it each year. Plus I'm expected to pay for postage to send this duct tape collection of old paper through UPS. This is why we have email grandma. Also, I don't mean that one douchebag, you know, Brad at the bar. He impressed your girlfriend with his Lamborghini in the parking lot that one time and claimed he, quote, just wanted to take her for a quick ride, end quote. But then those two left me at the bar for like three hours by myself. Karen, you heartless robot. It's just a car. Brad probably doesn't even own it. I bet you it's a lease. It's a lease, Karen. He doesn't love you. He never loved you. <clears throat> so, yeah, not, not talking about those fictional people at all. I'm talking billionaires. Who are they? Are they really happier? Uh, I, I'm guessing, honestly, yes. Uh, but also, I'm willing to bet there's a bell curve, uh, you know, in, in the amount of joy that you can actually derive from money. So let's begin at the beginning. But where do we start? Right here. At Goofy Clown Face. Who was the first billionaire? Depends on who you ask uh, and by what standards you're measuring it. Obviously, I mean, there have been kings and queens throughout history. I mean, that some of them, their entire net worth included countries, uh, you know, in some almost continents that actually belonged to them. So I have to focus on, you know, what's actually been documented you know, like what's actually, you know, we have to be able to quantify it. We can't, you know, if somebody owned all of Africa, like, okay, cool. But how many put that in the dollars? Like, I can't. I don't know how. And apparently nobody else can't either. So we're going to go back a ways. We're going to go, you know, according to a lot of scholars and some people that I Googled and a lot of things, we're going to go back to the 
the richest person in history, Musa I, a.k.a. Mensa Musa of Mali, which in my opinion is the cooler of the two names. I mean, it's an alliteration. It's, you know, it's three M words back to back to back. Mansa Musa of Mali. I'm betting it's where the company 3M got their name from. Probably not. Anyways, Musa was born in the year 1280. And during his lifetime, old Musa conquered 24 cities in and around Ghana. Each city had surrounding villages and farmlands. And basically, Musa owned a ton of people and land and stuff. His net worth, when you you inflate it and calculate it from modern dollars... It's estimated he was worth $400 billion, you know, give or take. Mark Zuckerberg, he's only worth $60 billion. You know, Facebook, he's a peasant compared to Musa. The difference is, I'd rather have $60 billion today than $400 billion then. I mean, Zuckerberg's fortune can do so much more than Musa's could. I mean, think, Zuckerberg can charter a helicopter tour around active volcanoes. He could take a high-speed bullet train across an entire country, all the while he's indoors with air conditioning in a full bar. $400 billion, and Musa still sweat every day of his life. He never once tasted a cold beer on a hot day. Not once. Zuckerberg can literally buy a spaceship and fly it to the moon. Musa, always, rode in carriages. No air conditioning. Certainly didn't have, like, serious satellite radio. The nicest nicest carriage in the world back then didn't even have suspension. Just wooden wheels. He felt every single rock and bump of the road. And honestly, to call what they were driving on roads is a pretty big reach by modern standards. So... There have been plenty of wealthy historical folks. Uh, Just picking a few here. William the Conqueror. uh, He was a king of England from 1066 to 1087. Estimated for today's money, you know, all of these figures are going to be. He's worth over $250 billion. There was a German feller, Jacob Fugger. Uh, born in 1459, uh, died in 1525. Basically, he was born to a rich family, and he used his family's money and connections. He bought some banks and then bought a lot more banks and then bought like a silver mine and a copper mine and a bunch of, you know, he just amassed a modern day, just just fortune of just owning stuff and, you know, inflated to modern numbers and all that, $220 billion. Nicholas II of Russia uh, back in the 1800s, uh, you know, inflated yada yada, $250 billion. He was the emperor of Russia. And much like some modern rulers, he had amazing circular logic. Uh, if you ask Nicholas, he insisted he ruled based on God's will, which meant he could do no wrong because it was God's will. So you and everyone else around him are not allowed to question his decisions. However, his enemies called him Nicholas the Bloody. Because uh, he didn't exactly follow his WWJD bracelet as strict as some others. <laughs> Regardless, $250 billion, which can buy you a lot of stuff. But he still had to live in Russia in the 1800s, which would be freezing all the time, except for, luckily for Nicholas, his, you know, <laughs> Nicholas, a.k.a. the bloody man of God's will. Uh, his fellow comrade Franz Sangali. I'm sure I'm saying all these names right, uh, was a Russian inventor, and he had just created central heating, so at least Nicholas Fortune could keep his apartment warm. But, I mean, it's not like he had—he still didn't have basic cable. He, he certainly didn't have Netflix. 
I mean, look, we'll circle back to this idea of modern basics being, you know, in my opinion, better than ancient riches. But for now, let's let's get back on track. We're talking about billionaires. Uh, there's a dude, Mir Osman Ali Khan. I lived from 1886 to 1967. He was the last of the lineage of rulers of Hyderabad. Again, sure I'm saying all these correctly. Uh, basically, super rich, princely state of British India. Uh, there was never an actual record of his wealth, but they're able to look back, and you know, there's plenty of documents of what he owned, and they're estimating, again, around $250 billion. And that's in the mid-1900s. I mean, you know, he died in 1967, and he had billions of dollars in, you know, 1950s, 1960s, which is astounding, because his money could at least buy, like, you know, plane tickets and, like, refrigerators. So if we're using American currency and, and we're going off of what was actually, you know, written down and documented, the first person to actually possess, to actually have one billion dollars is John D. Rockefeller. He was born in 1839 and his father was a traveling physician. And look, I don't mean to insult any traveling physicians from the 17th century, but I'm pretty sure that genuinely any of us could be a traveling physician in those days. In the 1800s, traveling physicians, they helped, quote, cure people uh, with bloodletting and enemas and diuretics. Like, like y'all, guaranteed we could all fake that enough to be considered a doctor back then. <laughs> Just, hey, what, what you got there, little girl? You got the, you got the sniffles? All right, let me, let me drain a few ounces of blood from your arm and send you on your way. Who's next? Hello, sir. What ails you? Oh, you're, you're, you're dizzy? All right, well, um... Here's an anti-dizzy pill. You, you, you shove it up your butt and, uh, you know, you'll be fine. Good luck. I mean, seriously, that's, that's more or less how it worked, y'all. And, and John's father, William Rockefeller, made his money doing this. Um, old Bill, old Bill Rockefeller, was, was pretty much a terrible human being. Uh, just about as bad of a human being as you could find. Uh, people called him Devil Bill. Because he made his money selling, you know, snake oil and other, and other BS to sick people. Genuinely, he, he sold them things that didn't cure them at all and made a bunch of money. And then he purposely loaned that bunch of money to farmers, farmers that he knew couldn't pay it back so he could foreclose on their farms and take them. William Rockefeller was a horrible person. And it turns out John was pretty much the same. Uh, he has a long track record of shady and just downright wrong business practices, and a history of forcing smaller businesses to surrender stocks and control just, just because he had enough money to buy them out and ruin them. He essentially monopolized the oil industry, and he created a $3.3 billion net worth by the time of his death in 1937, which more or less brings us to modern-day money. As of 2019, the top 10 richest people alive are as follows. Larry Page, uh, $50 billion dollars. In 1998, he co-founded Google, and he still runs a company that's called Alphabet, which is basically the umbrella, like the, the parent company of Google. He's rich. He's going to be rich forever. Google's not going anywhere. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, $55 million. Founder, chief executive, owner, you know, all the titles. Bloomberg LP. Um, you know, it, it, I don't actually know much about it, but it's clearly a, quite a good company. Uh, he took time off. And this is going to help me lead into some of the political stuff. Bloomberg took time off from business in 2002. And for the next 11 years, he, he served three consecutive terms as the mayor of New York City. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, you know, he made, he, he was, I apologize, he was worth over $71 billion in total assets. But in the last like 14 months-ish, he's lost like $9 billion. Hopefully he can scrape by with his remaining $62 billion. I wish him well. Larry Ellison, $58 billion. 
co-founder of the software firm Oracle. Uh, I don't even know what Oracle is. I mean, I know they own the Warrior Stadium, or at least the old stadium or whatever, but that's all I got on this guy. Amancio Ortega, $62 billion. Uh, he was the chairman of Inditex, which is known for something called Zara. I guess it, it's, a, it's a brand of, of something. Look, I don't know anything about these people. Carlos Slim Hilu, $64 billion, uh, Mexico's richest man. Slim and his family control America Mobile, which is Latin America's biggest mobile telecommunications firm. He also owns like a majority of Mexican construction companies, like the majority of them. Uh, he owns mining and real estate, and he owns 17% of the New York Times, which I thought interesting and random, but you know, good for you. Number four, $76 billion, Bernard Arnault. He's the wealthiest European uh, Frenchman. He oversees a ton of companies, like 60 brands, including like Louis Vuitton and Sephora and a bunch of other, you know, hoity-toity stuff. Good for you, bro. Good for you. Warren Buffett, everybody knows him, $82 billion. He's awesome, uh, honestly, simply because of one thing. He's pledged to give away over 99% of his fortune to charity. Bill Gates, $105 billion, also pledged to give away more than 99% of his money to charities. Like, that's, hey, that awesome, genuinely, good on you. Uh, number one, I don't think anybody's surprised by this, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, $108 billion. I can't, that's not even, like, that doesn't, it, 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 <laughs> that means nothing to me. It means you're super rich, I get it, but, like, that can't, I'm, I have no quantifying, I'm not, I don't have a metaphor strong enough for that. Uh, in total, there are 2,000. 143 billionaires as of the year 2019. 244 are women. It's basically 10%. And if you noticed, the top 10, eight are white dudes. And the two dudes who aren't, Amancio Ortega of Spain and Carlos Hilu of Mexico, pretty light-skinned dudes. Don't worry, I'm not going into race. I did that plenty last episode, so I'm going to stop here. But those are facts. And you know, look, hey, those are facts. Much like issues with race, the concept of being rich is it's it's a divisive topic. Uh, like if you Google search it, just just you know being rich or I mean just any different varieties of rich or rich people or whatever. There are so many articles telling you how you can get rich or discussing how much we should be taxing rich people or articles saying are the rich greedy are the rich evil. There's even a lot that are are the are rich people illegal. Like I don't even. What? And look, I'll gladly, I, I, I will go on record right now saying that CEOs of, of you know, any, say Walmart or Amazon, you should not be allowed to pay your bottom level employees $9 an hour when you make $9 million an hour, which by the way, Jeff Bezos does. He makes $9 million an hour. That's stupid. Make however much you want. Like, I'm not mad at him for making $9 million, but you shouldn't then be allowed to pay $9 an hour to your loads. Like, that's that is stupid. Seriously. But it's not illegal, so whatever. Also, I want to make one thing clear. I do not believe the amount of money that someone makes affects their ability to give opinions. Uh, I hear this a lot, and, and it comes up in social circles, with, mostly regarding athletes and movie stars and musicians. And, you know, anybody that has a public opinion. Best example, at least most recent, is Colin Kaepernick. And look, I don't care what his point was. I'm not discussing whether or not he's right or wrong. That is not what I'm saying. doesn't matter. But he's allowed to say what he feels. The following, I mean, look, he just is. Some version of this has been said about Colin so many times. Quote, he makes so much money, he just needs to be happy and stay quiet. End quote. 
That's wrong. I'm sorry. That's just wrong. How much money is someone allowed to make before their opinion is no longer valid? I mean, look, come the end of the month, I'm strapped. I usually have very little money at the end of the month that the paycheck's gone and bills and whatnot. So, I mean, does that mean I'm allowed to have an opinion because I'm broke? But if somebody else has more zeros in their paycheck, they're not allowed to have the same free speech as me? Is that really the system that, that we want? Like, what, what are we doing? But actors, actors are paid millions to do ad campaigns for stuff they don't believe in, and that's totally fine. No one cares at all. Shaq got paid. Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot two, almost four hundred pounds these days. Shaquille O'Neal got paid to do Kia commercials. We all know Shaq doesn't drive a Kia in real life, but no one got upset. No one cared. Meanwhile, Colin Kaepernick took a stand on something he believes in, and at least has a basis in reality. Agree or disagree, but he actually cared. And people literally burned his jerseys. How does that line get drawn? I don't understand. Jennifer Garner is paid a ton of money to do those Capital One ads. She doesn't give a rat's bath mat what's in your wallet. You know that. I know that. But nobody cares. She's allowed to say it. But if she said something about gun control or like the environment, people would lose their minds. My point is, I don't agree with the sentiment of, you know, well, these athletes make so much money. Why don't they just shut up and play? And, you know, the same thing with these actors make so much or these musicians, anything. Same thing. Shut up. It's not a fair statement. Because by that same token, if you really want to do that, if you really want to go there, most Americans are richer than most Mexicans. On average, uh, you know, the, the average American makes $56,500 a year. And the average person in Mexico makes $36,500 a year. So by that logic, no American is allowed to have an opinion. Period. Only Mexicans. Only Mexicans. Except they can't even talk. Because the average person in Ghana only makes... 11700 a year. So everybody from Mexico, shut up, do your jobs. Ghanans, take the... Oh, actually, Ghanans, not allowed to talk. Because Brazilians, they only make 8000 a year. So Brazilians, the floor is yours. Everybody else, shut your mouth. So my point here, obviously, how poor do you have to be in order to be allowed an opinion on social issues? Because with the amount of money that goes into political campaigns, it seems to me the basically only the richest people get heard. And speaking of herd, I have just the person here to talk about rich people. Uh, if you listened to my episode on coffee, then you do you know this man well. Uh, he's the person that's credited for having found coffee when he saw his uh, herd of goats eating these beans uh, back in the year 900 AD. I'm honestly surprised we were able to find him uh, on such short notice, but I've got got quite the crew here, but what do I know? And uh, everyone, uh, welcome. Please give a warm welcome to friend of the show and, you know, my friend, Marjani the Goat Herder. Yes, yes, calm down. Look, look, let me say that right now. I've herded goats my entire life, and I assure you, if you don't herd goats for a living, you make so much money compared to me, you need to just shut up and go to work because you do not know the struggle. Marjani, uh, I was actually just saying how I, I really don't like that argument because it really... No, no, you do not understand what I go through. Waking up every day and praying to the almighty Yamash that my goats have not wandered off or been eaten by wolves or worse, they might have gotten sick, which infects the entire herd. Rich people will never know. They will never know the smell, the constant, ever-present, sickening smell of wet goat fur and goat farts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you, Mar Marjani. That sounds... What? How dare you talk to me like you understand? You hear nothing. 
as you sit there in your, your heated home. You know what happens when it gets cold outside for Marjani? Marjani freezes. What happens when it snows on you? Oh, you go inside and you turn up the heat, but does your food spoil? No, because in your large, warm house you live in, you have a, a smaller box that keeps your meat preserved. In fact, what's that over there in the corner? It it looks like the fridge, but but it's smaller. It, it looks like a smaller... Yeah, that's a... Uh... Yeah, Marjani, that's my mini fridge. Why why do you require a, a second refrigerator box? Well, uh, um, that's actually that's actually just for my beer fridge. You son of a motherless goat! Do you know how much beer Marjani has drank in his lifetime? None, because it doesn't exist yet. All I have is wine, and it's always warm, all the time warm. You know how I carry my wine? In the only thing I can, a goatskin pouch. So after a long day of smelling goat poop, I get to sit down and enjoy a warm, goatskin bag of wine that smells like a sweaty goat scrotum. Ah, uh, good point, Marjani. Good point. Gonna, gonna go ahead and cut you off there, brother. Have a, have a good safe travel back, uh, yeah. Okay, y'all. <clears throat> so, rich people are allowed to have opinions, I guess, um, is my, uh, is my takeaway from that. Because I think uh, I think we're all pretty much uh, pretty much more rich than Marjani. So your amount of money shouldn't affect your amount of influence. Except it totally does, especially with regards to politics. I mean, look, best I can tell, a person gains more and more wealth, and as they tend to do, they tend to lean into politics. I don't know why, or you know, other social arenas maybe as well. But the, the richer people get, they they tend to push whatever agenda they believe in. So the question is why. Why do people have, that have more money than they could ever possibly spend, why go into politics? My, my guess is because they're bored. I mean, at least in my opinion, if someone was truly happy and content with life, they wouldn't go into politics. And yet so many rich people go into politics. I mean, obviously, Donald Trump is one of them. And again, given the modern political climate, I'm not saying anything about his policies. Nothing about it. I don't care how you vote. You don't care how I vote. You shouldn't. But Donald does look like a badly drawn cartoon character. Like Your political beliefs are yours, mine are mine, and it doesn't matter. We don't need to go into it. But if you can't admit that a 73-year-old obese orange man with a poorly done comb over at least looks a little bit silly, then I really have nothing for you here. Also, I chose the term obese on purpose because his body mass index is over 30, which is literally obese. There you go. Regardless the Donald. He's not the first to spend his money diving into politics. Uh, in fact, there's plenty, like like a ton. Here's a few. Bill Haslam, governor of Tennessee, uh, $2.5 billion net worth. Before Trump got, uh, got into the presidency, Haslam was the richest politician in America. He was the mayor of Knoxville from 2003 to 2011. Uh, he's basically, he's rich because his dad, Jim Haslam, started the Pilot J gas stations, which weren't big in the South. I hadn't actually never seen him until I got up kind of to the Midwest, but they are all over. So no wonder they're, you know, billion dollars. Jim Justice, governor of West Virginia, $1.6 billion net worth. Uh, Jim Justice was the governor of West Virginia in 2017. Uh, he's actually the only billionaire that lived in West Virginia, and now he's a governor. Surprise? Not really. Jim's dad started and owned Bluestone Coal Corporation, which is where Jim got all his money. Governor of Nebraska, Pete Ricketts, 
uh, Republican. He's the son of the founder of TD Ameritrade, a dude named Joe Ricketts, who was worth an estimated $1.9 billion. Pete Ricketts has held the office since like 2015, and even though he initially opposed Trump, they eventually became kind of buddies and ended up becoming a huge donor. And in November, Trump selected Pete's brother Todd to serve as Deputy Commerce Secretary. Again, no surprise. Mark Dayton, governor of Minnesota, uh, has been since 2011. He's a Democrat. He is the great-grandson of George Dayton who founded the Dayton Dry Goods Company in 1902, which I've never heard of, and neither of you, except it has basically become Target. Yeah, we're talking about the guy who owns Target. Target's the fifth largest retailer in the world. Uh, Forbes estimated the Dayton family to be worth $1.6 billion back in 2015. And uh, coming in, uh, of course, is Michael Bloomberg. He's actually the ninth largest richest person. I mean, you know, we were talking about him earlier. He served as the mayor of New York uh, from 2002 to 2013. Now, if you guys noticed, all of those politicians were born rich. Trump, Bill Haslam, Jim Justice, Pete Ricketts, Mark Dayton, all of them got their money from daddy. Except for Michael Bloomberg, whose father was not poor, but by no means was rich. He, he didn't have any companies or assets to give to Michael. So, you know, taking him away. I'm sure there's something to be, you know, taken from the fact that almost all billionaire politicians were born into wealth and, and why all of these born billionaires feel the desire to jump into politics. Like I said, I, th I think they're bored or, or unhappy or, you know, maybe they have some weird ego play where they, they have a desire to impose their will on multiple people at once. But I, I think if you have that desire in you, I, I think that alone proves you're not happy. So, again, I think I'm right. These people are not happier. Or maybe I'm wrong. Look, I, what do I know? But it, it feels like it feels like they're bored or it feels like they just have nothing better to do. Now, look, this has very few facts to support me, so just hear me out. Every one of us, at least those of us who you know don't own three houses and four yachts, I think we all assume that owning you know three houses and four yachts would be awesome. So it's something we all strive for. I mean, even if it's not specifically a yacht, we all strive to you know do better. So imagine having been born into a situation where better's not possible. You have everything. Obviously, look, it's a lot better than being born like low, low end poor. It, it, if you're wondering or, or even fearing where your next meal is coming from, or if you're starving, or if you, you know that's clearly I'm not talking about that. That's there's a whole there's there's a bell curve there too. You know, if you don't have enough food to survive, that's a whole different topic. I'm not talking about that. But if you're born into a house that you're at least, you know, you got food in the cupboards. I think, I think that's better for your growth as a human being. I think, I assume being born rich is like being born deaf. You know, you can explain to a billionaire's kid what life is about and how, you know, how, how small struggles make you a better person because you learn and, you know, in the same way that you can explain music to a deaf person. You can explain that there are notes played in a pattern, and that pattern is melodic, and it's it's, it's you know it's beautiful, or kind of peaceful, or kind of deaf people will never know what music is like, and and I'm sorry, but billionaires' kids will never truly know what what a struggle is. They just won't. If I'm having a mediocre day, you know, just you know normal blah day, and then a, you know a small problem or two comes up out of the blue, when I solve those problems, my day is better because of it. Like genuinely. Like I actually am in a better mood thanks to having solved a couple of you know smaller problems or maybe a big one, you know, whatever. But having overcome that, I feel better. So imagine if you're born into a system that every problem you ever have is solved immediately by money. 
then you have no struggles to overcome. You, you have no sense of personal pride. You, you, you have no feeling of accomplishment. You, you, you have no, you know, quote, better day feeling. So, so what do you do? I guess you decide to go into politics because there's a ton of problems there that money can't necessarily solve. And so it's the first problems you've ever had to deal with, it, you know, is what I'm guessing why all these people do this. So I think that begs the question, how can these, you know, billionaire kids be expected to empathize with the majority of Americans? Because a majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, these people that are now in politics are billionaires or millionaires or whatever, and they've never struggled for anything ever. I'd argue that, you know, they can't empathize. And that's a big problem in American and most likely, you know, all other countries' political systems. Left or right, conservative or liberal, doesn't matter. It takes a ton of money to run for office. So the only people that get elected are rich people. Then they govern people who aren't rich, people who are scraping by each month. So, of course, there's a big disconnect between the political leaders and the supposed will of the people. Enough about that. Because not all rich folk dabble in politics. Some just spend their money on nonsense. <laughs> and uh, it's delightful. Here, here are my favorite examples. Forgive me for butchering these names, but here are my favorite examples. Hassanal Bolkia. Bolkia. The Sultan of Brunei. He's a... Uh, He's a proud recipient of what has to be the most expensive haircut probably ever. The Sultan pays $19,000 US to fly one barber from London to Brunei. That's 7,000 miles. Flies him there to give him a haircut, then flies him back. It's cool though, because Hassan al-Bolkia, the Sultan, has a literal gold plane. I mean, obviously, not the engine and the integral moving parts, but everything else is gold. Staircase to get in, gold. Entire cockpit, gold. Every button, gold. Chair, toilet, gold. Google it. It's ridiculous. The Sultan of Brunei also bought a $14 million Rolls Royce, but that is nothing compared to, go with me here, Al-Walid bin Talal. He has 38 cars. One of them is a diamond-encrusted Mercedes-Benz worth $48 million. If you want to look at it, it'll cost you $1,000 just to walk into the bay that it's kept. And look, that's what I mean. If you have to charge people just to look at that thing you bought, you clearly aren't that happy with it. My buddy, true story, not kidding, my buddy recently bought a Tesla. He invited me over to check it out, and it's awesome. But when I walked into his garage, if he had turned to me and tried to charge me even $1, that'd be the last time I speak to that motherfucker. That's absurd. <laughs> Instead, he hopped me in. And by the way, uh, just, just side ran here. Teslas are friggin' amazing, y'all. Like, I, I don't have any really ambition to buy one, but wow, are they awesome. Anyways, I'm positive these possessions don't make you happy, or at least not any happier. And I'm relatively certain... They might actually be expressions of unhappiness. Like, look, okay, take this. There's a golden iPhone. It's truly all gold. Someone spent $16 million to buy it. But, like, it's still just a phone. Like, it's genuinely just a phone. It doesn't actually do anything different. And I think people buy stuff like this because I think they're desperately trying to, like, conjure up an emotion during the purchase 
Like, you know, like, okay, if you or I, you know, when I'm saving up to buy, like, you know, a, a new phone or a smartwatch or a PlayStation or, you know, something that I don't actually need, but I want, and I kind of have to earn it. Like, I got to save and scrimp a little bit here, a little bit there. And then, you know, when I finally do get it a couple months down the line, like, there's a real level of joy there. Like, you know, there's a real level of, like, you know, happiness or, or feeling of, of accomplishment when you do finally purchase that thing you've been holding out and saving for. There's, there's a literal chemical release. I mean, dopamine is stored up and then released. And you, then you feel joy from actually getting that thing you want. It's, it's basically like a drug. But if you're a billionaire, then nothing has value anymore. You, you basically become numb. So you buy more and more expensive things, chasing, chasing a high, much like a heroin addict. You know, so people buy things like, like a computer mouse that's made out of a diamond. Not, not out of diamonds and not covered in diamonds. I'm saying made out of a diamond. It's a giant diamond that was fashioned into a computer mouse, then sold for $32,000. It doesn't do anything different than the $12 computer mouse I'm using right now, but it costs $32,000. So I hope... Whoever bought it, I genuinely hope they at least felt some sense of a little, you know, buyer's high, at least for a little bit, because otherwise, what are you doing? I mean, y'all, there, there are restaurants that cater to super rich people. They sell $15,000 cocktails. I mean, it's it's still just vodka. Nothing actually, like, you, it, if I take six shots of Grey Goose and you take six $15,000 cocktails to the, we both feel the same when we're done but I saved $15,000 times six. There are stores, oh dear God, there, there's a real store that sells golden bicycles for $500,000. It doesn't have a motor. You still have to pedal it. You have to physically sweat and push to get it moving, yet it costs more than a yacht with a motor. Some lady, this is, these are all true. I, I can't, I, I can't it, it, express how surprised I was, but I guess not surprised at the same time because, of course, people with money buy this. But, like, I can't even... Anyways, a lady bought a diamond bathtub. Now, it's not made from one diamond. It's not like the mouse. But it is fashioned out of multiple diamonds formed into a bathtub. $40,000. And here's the kicker. It's not even human-sized. It's literally for her dog. That person's not happy. Like, they might smile, they might take pictures, they might look happy. You're not happy. If you're spending what equates to a Volkswagen, a brand new Volkswagen, on a bathtub for your dog, you've got something going on deep down inside that I can't, I mean, clearly I'm not going to dig into. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not even smart. But you're not happy. Hell, one dude bought a $200,000 gold shirt. It's one shirt. One. And what does this awesome shirt do? What, what does this amazing shirt do that makes it, you know, you have to have it? What, what does this, this piece of clothing provide for its owner that makes it so desirable that you have to spend $200,000? Well, it's, it's really shiny. Um, it's, uh, it's real, real shiny. You hit this mother in the right light, and let me tell you, it's like a uh, shiny, shiny shirt. I, I don't even know. What kind of deodorant do you have to wear with a shirt like that? Because I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm sure as hell not getting pit stains on my gold sleeves. Like, what? how do you even wear that? But he does, so whatever. Look, in 2002, there's a town called Bridgeville, California. And it was sold on eBay for $1.7 million. Originally, the dude that bought it 
said he was going to revamp the town. Except he never did. He didn't do anything. And then he sold it a few years later at a loss. That's a fact. All of that's fact. 100% true. The next statement's not true. It's purely speculation. But I can pretty much say for certain he bought that town to achieve a high. He wanted to know what it's like to own a city. He wanted to be the guy that owns a city. Hey, everybody, look at me. I own a city. Hey, hey every, everybody, everybody, guys, guys, look at me. Oh, no one, no one cares. Nope. No one cares. Turns out, didn't feel near as cool as he thought it would, and certainly didn't last for as long as he was hoping it would. So basically, the high wore off, and he sold it back. And he sold it back for less. And of, of course he did. That's hilarious. So to circle back, does money make you happier? I, I actually don't think it does anymore. The, the more I read about this stuff and the more I look at what people spend their money on, I mean, nonstop. Because the, the guy that bought the $200,000 shirt is not the only expensive shirt he bought. He bought a $20,000 shirt. Then he bought a $500,000 shirt. Then he bought a set. He, you're, just, you're literally just, it, it's, like a, it's, it's like an addict. It's like that old chasing the dragon that you know heroin addicts talk about, or like meth heads talk about. Like you, you chase that high forever. So I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this because 17 year old me is is screaming that he doesn't want it to be true. And I look, maybe I don't either, but I think it is. I think happiness is forged through hard work. And I'm you know like years of hard work. I'm not talking about like a quick influx of money because I don't think that actually makes someone happier. And studies show that it really doesn't. I mean, winning the lottery and, you know, and being, you know, I guess, granted, like, say, you know, you got an uncle that dies and you're, you know, granted millions of dollars. The concept of hedonic adaptation essentially says, however happy a person is, you know, on, a, on average, their baseline happiness level, if a giant scale event, positive or negative, like winning the lottery or, or a car crash, if that, you know, whatever happens... After six months to a year or a certain amount of time, you're pretty much going to go back to however happy you were before it happened. So, I mean, if you're happy right now and you get a bunch of money, you're going to pretty much be however happy you are right now in a few years because you're going to get used to it. It's basically what the science says is that no matter what happens, after a while, you adapt, even if it's negative, even if it's you know, a car crash, you lose their legs. People have lost their legs in these studies. I mean, obviously not on purpose. Nobody signed up to have their legs chopped off. But people had lost their legs, and they were taking study and questions and all that. And, and in a few years, the person's mood and, and happiness level, you know, to call it that, it made its way back up to that baseline that they originally were. So, I mean, I hate saying that, you know, it's such a cliche, money doesn't buy happiness, but apparently it actually doesn't. And on the other side of it, there are plenty of articles about hating rich people. You know, hate-based articles, hate-based Facebook groups. You know, there's plenty of Reddit, subreddits, and, and hundreds, if not thousands, of other areas on the web that, you know, people just spew hatred for, for rich folk. Do I think most of it's warranted? No, I really don't. I mean, let's not take the internet at face value. It's the internet, okay? You know what I mean? Like, of course, everybody hates everybody on the internet. So... Let's, you know, let's take a, a look at a couple of people that are far more intelligent than I am and, and far more intelligent than I will ever be. Uh, let's look at F. Scott Fitzgerald and the one and only Aristotle. Uh, Fitzgerald, I mean, what am I going to say about this guy? I mean, clearly he's an accomplished writer. I mean, so much so it, I can't even, why am I even talking about the guy? He's, he's good is what I'm saying. He was able to sum up the millions of words online. Uh, hating rich people into one concise paragraph. In a short story called The Rich Boy, published in 1925, 
Fitzgerald wrote, and I quote, Let me tell you about the very rich. They are different from you and me. They possess and enjoy early, and it does something to them. It makes them soft where we are hard, makes them cynical where we are trustful, in a way that, unless you were born rich, it's very difficult to understand. They think, deep in their hearts, that they are better than we are, because we had to discover the compensations and refuges of our life for ourselves. Even when they enter deep into our world or sink below us, they still think that they are better than we are. They are different. End quote. I, I think that's beautiful. Uh, I was stoked to stumble upon that because that's, I mean, it. what he just said in, in one paragraph beats this entire episode to hell. Like, clearly, he is, uh, he's good. Aristotle, almost 2,400 years ago, nailed it. He really did. Uh, talking about the emotional and the psychological differences between the super rich and the rest of society. Uh, in Rhetoric 2.16, Aristotle says, quote, The kinds of character that accompany wealth are plain for all to see. The wealthy are hybristic and arrogant. Something happens to them as a result of the acquisition of wealth, for they are so disposed as to think that they possess all good things. End quote. And that's almost what I was trying to say, kind of, sort of, but he said it well better than what I, yeah. Rich people don't understand struggle, so they don't understand, you know, that, that feeling of accomplishment. They also possibly, not everyone, I'm sure of it, but possibly, and I think what Aristotle's saying is, is that rich people think that possessions are the point of life. And I'm sure that's not necessarily true for all or even most. I mean, I, I hope not for just for their sake, just from human to human, just in, in anyone alive. I hope that they wouldn't think that possessions are the purpose of life. I, I would hope that what Aristotle is saying are the good things. I, I would hope people understand that that's, you know, family and friends and experiences and, and emotions, be them good or bad. And the act of climbing, you know, whatever mountain you're climbing, and the act of accomplishing that, I, I think are more important for personal growth than wealth. And, and if you're given wealth from day one, I, I don't know that you ever are, you know, pushed to strive to, to conquer mountains, because why would you? You're not going to make anything any better because you're, you're already doing fine. You know what I mean? So, I mean, look, yeah, clearly Aristotle and Fitzgerald, are, are they did it better than I could. I wish I could write as smoothly as they do, but, uh, you know, with all that said, imagine the kind of wealthy person that Aristotle was talking about. 300 BCE, the wealthiest person alive didn't have electricity. Kings from that time had slaves, sure, but how many slaves, waving how many palm leaves, does it take to equal one central air conditioning unit? The fastest route of travel in those days was literally a camel. You had to keep constant lookouts for desert marauders along the way. Like, can you imagine that? You were going wicked slow. You were sweating. You were eating horrible food, whatever you could, like, hard tack and nonsense because, you, I mean, you're, you're in the desert. You, I mean, you have nothing. You have water that's warm, and the entire time you have to keep an eye out, or at least pay somebody else to, to keep an eye out for dudes that might be attacking you to steal all your stuff. Nowadays, even the cheapest airline has little to no risk of being attacked by dudes with bow and arrows. And even the nicest, the fanciest, most rich person, personiestest, most richest personiest, richest personiest, the nicest castle in 300 BC still didn't have indoor plumbing. 
fuck that. I'd rather make whatever the average salary is nowadays and live nowadays than live back then with any amount of money if you had to go to an outhouse. No, thank you. And fast forward, let's go, you know, let's go almost 2,000 years more so, 2,000 years forward uh, to the very rich that Fitzgerald was talking about in the early 1900s. Sure, cars were around, but suspension still didn't really exist. I mean, there was a few that did have it, but it was garbage by modern standards. Microwaves didn't exist till the 60s. So if you wanted food back then, you actually had to cook something in the oven for like an hour. TV? Television? Nope. Radio barely existed. If you were rich enough to have a radio back then, you basically got like four stations, like seven max in the bigger cities. Imagine that. You had four stations to choose from. Not Spotify. Not not Pandora. Not even a cassette tape that you could fast forward. You had four stations. Don't like what's on those four stations? Tough shit, bro. So yeah, what I'm saying is, you can keep all that. So by comparison to any time before 1980, as it turns out, I am rich, and you are too. You listening right now, you're rich. Because anyone with access to the internet is rich by comparison to anyone back in the day. Kings had to hire bands to listen to music. They were, and th- those bands were limited. I mean, how many songs does a band know? Back then, 20? Max, maybe. They couldn't pull up their favorite band on Spotify and and pull up their entire discography. I do that with two clicks of a mouse nowadays. Royalty and leaders of countries, literal kings, had to listen to the same maybe 20 songs if they were lucky every day from the same band. I mean, and what to watch? Hulu and YouTube? Absolutely not. They had a play. They had to go at a fixed time, watch a play. There's no repeat. There's nothing on demand. There was no Netflix and chill. When they stumbled home from the bar at 3 a.m., they couldn't pull up Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special and pass out after eight minutes like I do every time. So what I'm saying is, you can hate rich people. You can want to be rich people. You, you can want to want to tax rich people to oblivion. Look, you could care less either way. It's fine with me. But modern day life, even if you're broke, is still better than being rich back in the day. Pretty much anytime pre-1752, you know, pre-electricity. Like, for sure, it's not even a debate. For sure, anytime now, with any amount of money, as long as you're eating and living under a house, you're better off than 1752 and before. And honestly, I'll take being middle class today over being rich in any year pre-1940. You know, at least I think I would. What do I know? <laughs> thanks thanks again for listening, y'all. This one definitely uh, its the longest one I've done yet. Hopefully it kept you entertained. If not, well, then you're probably not still listening to this. So for those of you that are still listening to this, as always, thank you. I, I do appreciate it. Hope to hear you, see you, be with you, talk to you. You know, see you next time.